Welcome to the Shelf Made Podcast, your weekly snackable size podcast for the consumer packaged good industry. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Shelf Made Podcast. I am your host, Cam McCarthy, the co-founder and CEO of WeStock. This week, we're keeping up with our theme of really great beverage founders. I feel like the last month or two, we've had some great ones on the show. This episode is no different. We're joined by Or Resnicki. He's the co-founder and CEO of Drip Dash, where they are reimagining craft coffee. Uh, I was really impressed with my conversation with Or. Thought he brought a lot to the table, some insights that we haven't seen in previous episodes, uh, and can't wait to really dive into that interview. Before we start with that, um, if anybody wants to get back to me, you know, in the show notes or just respond, you know, at Cameron at WeStock.io, I'd love to know everyone's opinions and feelings about the upcoming Expo East show. I think we're seeing a lot of posts on social media and, and on LinkedIn about where uh, different founders, where different retailers, where different CPG brands kind of stand. I think the turnout still looks pretty good. I think what their numbers say is about 10,000 people are going and over 1,000 brands. Obviously, you know you have to take that with a grain of salt because it's obviously the people that run the trade show that are giving you those numbers. But I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, we will be there. We will have a booth. Um, please reach out to us if you want to connect. Uh, we're going to be you know fully vaxxed, fully masked. Um, make sure that we all have tests uh, lined up for when we get back home um, to put our make sure our loved ones are super safe. Um, but would love to know if you are going to the show. What's your feelings about the show? Where's your head at? about trade shows in general. I mean, where is the future of that going? Are you interested in us diving into that as a topic for an upcoming show? Uh, just kind of let us know. Uh, I, I know it's it's really a hotbed um, issue right now and, and seems to be a topic that's really taking over LinkedIn. So I'm excited to connect with our current brands and some prospective brands. I'm excited to, to be in the show and, and try some, some products and, and just hopefully have some level of that excitement that's there. I know it won't be the level of it you know, in years past, but still excited to see everybody. Let's all take the precautions. Let's be super safe. Um, and let's try to enjoy the show as much as possible. Uh, if you're not going, um, let's definitely try to connect as well. Uh, I know everyone's gearing up for Q4 uh, and making sure that they hit their numbers for the year. And we've got a ton of exciting announcements. We actually just partnered with two new retailers in New York City, um, Lifetime Market and Westside Market, which actually has seven locations. Uh, so if you're interested, especially in the New York City market, um, about picking up that conversation with WeStock, I think now is definitely the best time uh, to start that. But let's get into the topic of the day and our great guest, Oris Nikki. Super excited to chat with him. And without further ado, here's our interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Shelf Made Podcast. Super excited to be joined by the co-founder and CEO of DripDash, Or Resnicki. Or how are you doing today? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. Appreciate you having on the show. Uh, I was mentioning to you before, we've had a lot of beverage founders on over the last few weeks. So good to continue to grow uh, that list of, of brands that we've had on the show. Um, I'd love to start just to kind of get a little bit more background on you and then kind of what your journey and how it led you to Drip Dash, and then a little bit about the product and brand and, and where you're at with the company right now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my background uh, from college, I went into uh, software sales. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so uh, that was kind of the natural movement. You go something in the software field. I did various types of partnership roles, business development, 
and, and then landed in sales, um, which turned to burnout. And from there, uh, traveling around uh, the world, mostly South America, where I found a new passion for coffee. Um, while that was going on, studied software engineering, and that led to some type of bridging a gap between um, software, so direct consumer um, brand building, and coffee with a new passion found in South America, um, along with my co-founders that were working on a coffee project, which transpired into Woodruff Dashes today. Awesome. And so what's the traction of the brand so far? How many stores are you in? Kind of what's, um, how has this year been for you? How, how's everything coming kind of out of COVID for you? Sure. Yeah. So, and maybe uh, just to tell a little more about what Drip Dash is. So Drip Dash were the first producers of Kyoto iced coffee in the U.S. Uh, it's a super craft and unique coffee beverage that dates back to 1600 Japan. So we're bridging tradition and complex flavors and bringing mainstream. So you can really enjoy specialty coffee wherever you are. So we started about uh, three years ago, and uh, right now we are in a little over 200 retailers, uh, mostly in California. And then we have a few different uh, specialty type of online marketplaces that we're in uh, across the country. Um, the COVID has been very strange. Um, <laughs> we, we had to transition our business to be heavier on the e-commerce side, which is, uh, you might be aware, but it's very difficult to ship liquid and especially perishable liquid across the country in two days. So we have to figure out different ways to really effectively um, understand the logistics and supply chain of perishability across the country. And um, that transition has led us to understanding our customers a lot better. So because we have that direct line of communication with them, we've been able to slowly build uh, trust with them, uh, work on our online platform and really start getting some uh, really high subscription customers. Yeah, I mean, I think the ability to kind of pivot over the last few months has been critical, especially for beverages. I know it's obviously super expensive. Uh, to ship liquid, but I think um, the brands have been able to adapt to that um, is key. Obviously, you're in a really competitive category, both ready to drink and coffee. It's super saturated, super competitive. Um, what was kind of the iteration process that you guys went through to really find the right product that you were comfortable with to bring into the market that you felt could stand on, a, um, on its own um, in a really crowded space? Yeah, so... I think that, and maybe I could even take it back a step uh, of why um, on a more philosophical level to get into food and beverage. I, I think that food and beverage has been very attractive space uh, for the last uh, 50 years or so. Um, there were the big food giants, Kellogg's, General Mills, Nestle, that had a huge upper hand being first movers in consumer packaged goods. And then more recently, uh, in the last 10 years or so, there were huge exits. You have RX Bar, uh, Crave Jerky, and a few others that show you that food and beverage can have software scale exits. And that attracted a lot of people to jump in on, on an opportunity. Uh, for us, there was a need that we saw. Uh, one of our co-founders, Dolores, she worked at a company named Blue Bottle Coffee, which was acquired by Nestle. And while she was there in management, she noticed this very specific style of coffee that's incredibly difficult to produce. 
uh, due to just the brewing process. She noticed that every day by 10 a.m. they're running short of it and that people are coming into the retail stores and are just very furious that they can't get any more of it. So we saw a need in the marketplace and that's what first created any interest in, in looking at food and beverage. Um, as far as the iteration process, I think there's uh, a few things to decide when you want to go to scale with your business. One of those things is understanding whether there's really a need in the place. When we look at different brands, you want to ask yourself, why now? Is now really the time to create this type of food and beverage brand that you're um, looking to bring to market? Um, is this going to be 10x better than what already exists? Um, and then can you really build a community around this and understand how to speak very well to those that may be interested in a solution you are offering to their problem? And that's, I think, one way to position and think about the product you are bringing out to market. So for us, we saw some need uh, with our experimentation and the patent pending brewing process that we had gave us some type of moat uh, that really differentiates us in terms of the coffee that we're able to bring to market. And then we found that through different iterations with the naming and branding, uh, we were able to speak to a very specific type of consumer. I think in the earlier days when you start the brand, rather than just telling yourself you have a product that uh, based on your grandparents' recipe that is going to be delicious and the whole world needs to try it, you need to actually go at really small scale, make this artisanal as if it's uh, like a homework project. And what you can do with that is you get packaging from a, a second party uh, manufacturer and you could print labels even on a laser printer. And then you could take just a few small brick and mortar locations, try demos there and see what type of messaging really resonates with a customer. Uh, if it's a brand new category, let's say like um, uh, uh, some type of new grain. Uh, I think there was someone talking about a new type of grain from South Africa yesterday uh, on your podcast. That you need to really understand, does this type of messaging resonate with the customer? Should we focus on the health benefits or should we focus more so on the authenticity and origin of the actual product? And we were able to do the same thing. We had some type of packaging and we tried different type of names. Oh, the Kyoto Ice Coffee is also known as cold drip coffee, Dutch coffee, a water tower drip. And when we tried the different names and we tried testing it at different markets, we're just able to do lightning fast iterations, understanding what resonates best with the customer and how we can explain it to them. And I think that once you actually land on something that really does well, that's how you can actually go deeper into the market and understand that your product is actually meant to be there. Yeah, I think you you and me kind of flip flop, right? You came from software sales and then went into CPG, and like I started in CPG and then went to software sales, uh, you know, starting this company. And so I think one of the things that I like about software is it's really fast to iterate, but also prove out MVPs, and it's really hard to do that with CPG products a lot of times. 
just because the startup cost is a lot more expensive, right? You have to actually develop the product, you have to pay for the packaging, you have to get distribution. It's just very expensive to get that started out, which is why you see a lot of people make mistakes early on that put them into drastic, you know, financial problems. And so I think starting small, testing out the product and iterating on that product and getting a lot of customer feedback and being out in the field is critical, especially when you're going into competitive categories where one or two little things like a, you know, a, a different flavor or positioning or just branding, it's going to differentiate yourself enough to win. It's going to be key for you to pick up on those channels. So I think too many brands may go all in and too big to start. And you don't need to do that. Like you don't need to place that big product fund. The most likely thing is you're going to probably gonna have to redo your packaging or rebrand or change your name. Like, so just start small and test and iterate. Um, and really hone in on it, which is why I think DTC is such a great channel to start in because you can actually own that customer a lot more, get that feedback a lot clearer than, you know, through a third-party distributor or through a retailer where you don't have that one-on-one connection. Uh, When was the moment or, you know, have you even hit that moment where you felt like, okay, great, like we have product product market fit with TripDash? Yeah. So I think when we originally started um, we had, we were calling ourselves Japanese style cold brew coffee. Um, and then when we switched to cans, uh, which is a very known type of, uh, Japanese, uh, I guess, packaging uh, in, in Japan, they have a lot of different canned coffee products. When we switched to cans and we had the certain type of messaging, uh, the certain title for our brand and product we were testing to see how we're performing against some of the others in the same category. And you go to these markets and you see the, the other main competitors are Coffee Boss and UCC. Each one is selling for $1, maybe $1.50, maybe $2. And we marked an X at the bottom of some of the cans of our competitors just to try to track movement and velocity. That's just one uh, kind of scrappy trick to try to see uh, by yourself how a different brand is performing in the category. And we're noticing that all of a sudden our brand is doing 20 cases in sales per month in certain accounts, uh, just when we switched the branding. And that's where we found our sweet spot in this very saturated space. I think the thing to keep in mind too, as the more saturated the market is, the, the more fickle the consumer is going to be. Uh, when we're building these businesses, we're building to create a brand that people love, trust, and would buy almost almost anything they put out in the market. So when we hit that sweet spot of understanding our demographic and messaging and packaging is what resonates with the demographic we are going after, that's when we went much deeper into it and started doing larger production runs rather than start off from... Um, really the idea that you know you dream about and then going all in on awesome yeah no or i think i think this is a great kind of way to like a really great framework to approach um testing product iterating it and really again finding product fit before you go and scale and making sure that you're actually knocking down those dominoes before you go to the next too early. Uh, where is this place that people can um, contact you, learn more about DripDash and um, what just kind of what's the best channels to get a hold of you? I would say um, if you want to directly contact me, uh, happy to give my email either in the show notes or just or, or at dripdash.com uh, or for our most active 
social channel, uh, feel free to slide in our DMs at DripDash on Instagram. Uh, and we're very quick to respond through there. And if you want to find anything more about us, our website is just DripDash.com. Awesome, Laura. I appreciate it. Definitely a ton of helpful nuggets in here and have a great rest of the year and, and best of luck to Drip Dash and you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Or, for joining us on this week's episode of the Shelf Made Podcast. I know all the listeners are going to go out and support Drip Dash whenever they see them at their local stores or go support them and buy them online as well. We'll actually be back this week on Thursday with our second episode of the week, so be sure to check that out. Have a great week, and thanks so much for listening.